Good morning and welcome into the Lord's house this morning. What a blessing it is to have the freedom that we have to worship. And one of the things we celebrate over this weekend is that freedom, that uh, ability to gather together and to hear God's word and to proclaim it. We'll be challenged in that this morning too as we uh, open God's word uh, to not only heed God's word, but then to proclaim it, to live it out. So we want to give attentive ears and not take for granted this freedom which we have. If you're visiting with us this morning, we extend welcome to you. Perhaps you're watching online. We also uh, welcome you and and trust that God will uh, speak to us through his word and by his spirit. This morning, we welcome uh, some new members, those who have uh, appeared before the elders and uh, have expressed desire to to join the church and made uh, testimony to their faith. We want to welcome Rachel Canfield, as well as uh, Kevin and Elizabeth Serna and their daughter, Eliana. If you you would stand, please. Those I've just, Eliana's already standing, but uh, we'll we'll get the rest of them. There we go. Welcome into our midst. We're we're so thankful that you are, uh, have been led by the Lord to find a home here among us. And we we hope and pray that uh, as we serve the Lord together, we can be an encouragement to each other uh, to be courageous and to be uh, uh, joyful in service that others might see as we're gathered here, but also outside of these four walls, uh, the joy of Christ in us and uh, as we go forth from here. Thank you. As we come into worship this morning, we're called in, uh, to worship from Psalm 95. I'd ask you to stand as we uh, As we hear God's word, we're reminded that the Lord is king and that we have the the obligation, also the privilege to worship him and to not forget uh, our God, but to set before ourselves and before others his greatness. Listen to these words. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Congregation, in whom is your help? I greet you this morning, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's turn in our hymnals to number 80B. Great shepherd who leadest thy people. The psalmist says, great Uh, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and that is what we want to remember, that it is the Lord who leads, and we ask for his leading. We need his leading in order to find our way. God has placed us in this time, in this place, uh, for that express purpose that he's given to all his, uh, those made in his image, which is to serve him. So we want to think of that as we're singing ADB, the stanzas 1, 2, and 6, Great Shepherd Who Leadest Thy People, stanzas 1, 2, and 6.
pertains to his love of Jacob. Jacob, we've seen, is not uh, walking, per se, in the way that he ought to go, and yet the Lord shows him a love, and, and we see ourselves much in that same uh, position. We are those who need the tender love of the Lord, for we are not walking in the way that we ought to, to go always. And so we want to reflect on that as we prepare to hear more of God's love towards us as we stand to sing the five stanzas of 103D. Come back to our study of the book of Genesis this morning and invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 31. We recognize that God saves us by his grace unto obedience. We've just sung, those who his gracious covenant keep the Lord will ever bless. Jacob is starting to understand his relationship with the Lord and the importance of obedience to his word and As we think about that this morning, we think of the application for ourselves, that we are to be those who are obeying God's word, not simply hearing it, but putting it into practice. As we come back to our Uh, To the Bible's account, to God's account of the life of Jacob, we see that he's worked 14 years now for his wives, and we learn that he he worked six more years for, we'll learn this morning, that he worked six more years for wages that Laban hesitated to give uh, to him. 
He didn't work for Laban because of his kindness or his fidelity, his faithfulness, but rather because he was seeking to provide for his family and we assume because he's also seeking to keep his word, which is a good thing. Laban keeps changing his mind about Jacob's wages, as we're going to see, but the Lord was Jacob's blessing. And we want to remember that this morning. It's important for you and for for me to remember that the Lord is our blessing. It is he uh, who keeps us in our trials and our tribulations. He's the source of our blessing. Verse 42, Jacob says that. He says, if the Lord, if, if God, the father of uh, of, of Abraham, the fear of Isaac, had not been on my side, surely I would have been empty-handed. That's, that's really what's behind this whole, this whole point of, of God working in the lives of the saints. If God is not on our side, then we are, uh, we are lost. We are those without anything. Well, as time stretches on, things are becoming more and more difficult. Jacob labors and diligently he labors But his work is neither appreciated nor compensated. We want to see this account this morning. We're going to read the entire chapter, starting at verse 1 of chapter 31. This is the word of God. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. And the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the the, the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of of God said to me in the dream, Jacob. And I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now, arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion of or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock and his possession that he had acquired in Paddan Aram to go to the land of Canaan. To his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household of household gods. Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. 
He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful. Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. In these 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you, I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. In these 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. Let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar. Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. 
Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid and Mizpah, for he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap in the pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. This is the word of God. May he teach us the word of life through it this morning. People of God, the working conditions for Jacob are not good, to put it mildly. Laban was a difficult man to work for. Jacob was afraid of him. He acknowledged that there in verse 31. For he did not keep his word. He took advantage of Jacob and his own daughters. There was nothing that Laban wouldn't do to advance his own self, no matter who it was. Jacob got nowhere with Laban when he tried to talk to him. You remember after serving his time for Laban's daughters, he asked to be released to go back in chapter 30, verse 25. He says, I've I've put in my time. Let me go. Laban kept him for six more years. In those six years, the Lord blessed Jacob by increasing his flocks, even though Laban kept trying to change his wages. He says, you've you've changed my wages ten times. That's One commentator says that's hyperbolic for saying many times, not necessarily ten, but many times, constantly changing the wages so that it would be in his favor. To Jacob's credit, he continued to serve Laban with all his might, being faithful in service. What Laban is doing, we need to understand, is he's trying to get Jacob to think that his life exists by or at the good pleasure of Laban, at his his goodness to Jacob. What the Lord is allowing Jacob to see is that there is enslavement we are seeking to live for ourselves and to live only for what we can get materially. As Jacob Worked for Laban, the Lord came to him and commanded him to return to the land of his fathers. He had received, received the word and he decided he had to tell his wives of what the Lord had said to him. So he calls them out to the field. He prepared them for what he was about to say by listing the grievances that he had against their father and to declare that their father no longer regarded him with favor. And he went on to say, verse 5, but the God of my father has been with me. That's what we see throughout, again and again, through all of the sufferings of the saints, all through the book of Genesis, God is with his people, individuals, their families, the future of the people. Listen to what he says in verses 6 to 9. He recounts this to them. He says, you know that I've served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. 
This is what Jacob is permitted to see by God's grace. God caused the sheep and goats to bear in keeping with whatever changing agreement Laban made. Jacob then told of the dream he had. God declared that he was for him. God was aware of what Laban was doing to him. Verse 12, he says, I see what Laban is doing to you. I see the injustice. But he took things out of Laban's hands and worked them for Jacob's good. As we've just seen, the livestock bore according to Laban's agreement in the favor of Jacob. That's how God works. He's in control of the situation. Laban is not. Jacob received the command and declared God's faithfulness as well. He's not only receiving it, but now he's declaring. He's saying, God is faithful. Here is Jacob the deceiver, the one who is unfaithful, the one who is, who is cheating people out of, their, out of their birthright and so on. And he's saying, but God is faithful. In the midst of this drama of deceit, the sh- God's faithfulness shines forth. That's what we see. He's, he's faithful to his covenant. He is one that we can follow, that we We can accept his word and know he will keep it. Remember, he declared that he would be with Jacob wherever he went and would bring him back. Chapter 28, verse 15. In verse 13 here of this chapter, Jacob recounts his words. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise and go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. God told Jacob what he needed to do after this time. Now, the question was, what would his wives do? Would they go with him? Would they be ready to go? Would they heed the call? Well, listen to what they say in verses 14 to 16. Then Rachel and Leah, after hearing all that Jacob had said, said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. Laban has alienated his own daughters. He has led them to a place, again, by God's sovereign hand, to be ready to go when God calls to follow Jacob wherever the Lord called him to go, whatever he called him to do. Now, there's an application for us here, and that is when God calls, we are to be ready to go, to be ready to respond. If this is God's will, we say, I am ready to do it. That's the picture of the, 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 the concept of a disciple, right, in the New Testament. Jesus says, follow after me. Follow me. My disciples follow me. Another word picture he gives, John chapter 10 is, my sheep hear my voice and they follow. Notice something else. Hearing God's voice and submitting to it doesn't mean things will necessarily be easy. I think that's important for us to see all through this Genesis account, all through this word of God. Following God doesn't necessarily mean that life will get easier. Came across this quote this week in William Gurnall's book, The Christian in Complete Armor. He said this, It requires more courage and greatness of spirit to obey God faithfully than to command an army of men. More courage and greatness of spirit to be a Christian than to be a captain. Do you recognize that? 
The world has become very proud in its accomplishments. The world has become very strong. And as Christians, we must recognize the dangers of this pride. We live and serve here and now where God has placed us, but but God is our strength. He is the one we are to serve. The Spirit's presence then is seen in this way in God's people, that they hear his word and they obey it, no matter the cost. That's the Spirit's presence. Not how big we get. Say, well, the Lord must be blessing this. It's, it's big. It's numerous. Lots of people. But rather, can we say, thus says the Lord, and follow, whatever the cost. When Jesus says, follow me, what does he say? Take up your cross and follow me. That speaks of suffering. That speaks of sacrifice. That speaks of putting to death. That speaks of, of, of dying to that which would, would call us from that path. Hearing Jesus is one thing. The next step is to follow and suffering comes when we obey God. The decision to obey God's voice wasn't going to be an easy road for Jacob and his wives, his family. Yet the Lord said to him, this is the way, now go. Go back to that land. Arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Children, what do you think Laban's going to do? Do you think he's ready to let them go? Based upon what we've learned about Laban, does he seem very agreeable to this? He's not, is he? He's not agreeable. He isn't going to be in favor of this. He's going to lose a good worker. He's going to lose all the animals that Jacob has in his possession. But you see, Laban wasn't in control of the situation like he thought he was. But he wouldn't accept that. He just lengthened the, 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 the contract and kept lengthening the contract thinking, oh, I'm still in control of this situation. I'll I'll do with Jacob as I see fit. He will serve me as long as I say he will serve me. He will do what I tell him to do. But Laban wasn't in control. I want us to understand this. At some point, believer and unbeliever will part ways. It's inevitable. One serves the Lord and the other does not. Those are, those are the two choices. Those are the two paths. There's not some hybrid. There's not some syncretism there that, oh, I can do both. No, there's serving God or serving self. That first commandment that sets everything in order, you shall have no other gods before me, period. It's going to come to that. It's inevitable for God calls us to serve him. God has something more for Jacob and his wives just as he has more for his people. Laban's not in favor of this for it meant Jacob was no longer his to command. 
Now, I don't want to move on and think, well, okay, that means it's, it's us against the world. No, we, we want to understand in the midst of that that we're still in the world. We're still serving in the world. And we're, 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 we'll see this a bit later, but we're for others. We're not against them now as, as though uh, uh, they're the ones that stand in our way. It's principalities and powers that we fight against. It's that which we have to proclaim to others. And we want them to go with us. But when they call us to follow them and to, to sin, we say no. In First Peter, you can read that, that, that book and see how, how doing good even brings suffering. The world doesn't want us to, to, not, to, to go the right way. They want us to follow in their path of, of debauchery. We must not. We must call them out of that too. Well, this account illustrates the tension between God's people and the world. We see God's call then versus the expectations or demands of the unbelieving world on believers. When God speaks, we must listen and obey. I'm using that word listen, uh, uh, not in a, in a passive sense. Listening means responding, right? Not talking about just hearing, but responding, obeying. And when the world sees us follow God, conflict comes. No matter how much service we've given, no matter how much good we've done, there's, there's, this, there's this conflict, there's this, there's this uh, enmity that is there. They, they don't want us. They don't want to let go of us. They want, them, they want us to, to serve them or to be like them so that they're not pricked in their conscience, provoked in their living, or, or called to confession and faith and, and to follow after the Lord. But Jacob had served Laban for 20 years. That's my point in saying this. It, it, there's never enough. It, it, he was, you remember his original intent, right? He was going to serve seven years for Rachel, and then he was out of there. Well, now here, the Lord has placed him there among Laban for 20 years. 20 years. And Laban yet is not satisfied with this. In fact, the beginning of the chapter says, the longer he's there, the more Laban and his sons despised him. They said, he's taking from us. He's taking what's ours to himself. They despised him. Well, this reflects Jesus' words regarding what happens when we follow him. We, we must be prepared for close ties to be affected. Jesus says, Matthew chapter 10, when I come, uh, I don't come to bring peace but a sword. There will be father against mother, mother-in-law against uh, daughter-in-law, and so on. There's, there's, there's going to be conflict because there's this, there's this battle being waged. It's serving the Lord and versus serving the world. When the word pierces our hearts, a person's heart, the greatest allegiance is now to God. And for those who are not believers, this is too much. They feel demoted. They feel like put it to the side, as it were. They believe Satan's lies, that they're less loved. And they will often become angry and reject or shun those who come to faith in Christ. But conversion we need to know this. Conversion doesn't mean that we love them less. It means that we love them more clearly. We, we love them understanding what we need and what they need more than anything else, which is Jesus. They need to serve the Lord along with us. And so when we start, when the heart is converted and, and, and we're changed and we realize that new affection and we call them to that, they feel like, oh, you're telling me to do something that I don't want to do, which is not loving me because I know what I need. But we don't know what we need. It's not until God opens our eyes that we know what we need. 
And when someone comes alongside of us and even encourages us and tries to get us to walk in the Lord, we still have to fight that old flesh and say, why are you, why are you judging me? Instead of saying, thank you, I didn't see what I was doing, that it was offensive to the Lord. Thank you for helping me to see. So conversion doesn't lead us to, to forsake family. But our allegiance to God, our new love, makes them feel, if they're looking with unregenerate eyes, makes them feel like second fiddle. It's a misunderstanding of what's happening. The Christian wants all his family to see life in Christ. When you tell them what I see now is, is, is well, I thought I was living before, but now, now I see And I want you to see as well that together we might rejoice and that we might live to the fullest. Christ has come to do what? To give life and that to the full. John chapter 10. That we wouldn't live just for ourselves. That we'd live for God and for one another. For the one who hates Christ, this is not a welcome message, not a welcome call because it calls for a reordered life. The things of God are not understood. We read... Without the Holy Spirit. The things of God are not perceived apart from the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2.14. So they, they don't understand and they, they, they resist. We must lovingly, patiently, faithfully serve the Lord and call them into that relationship also. But this is, this is difficult. It's impossible without God's Spirit. Now, many of us don't know this uncomfortable experience, but some do. They, they believe in Lord Jesus Christ and family says, I want nothing to do with you. You start that Jesus talk and I'm, you're not coming to any family gatherings. You're not, you're not a part of us anymore. But as hurtful as that is, as hard as that may be, when God calls, we must obey. Even if those very close to us protest and threaten to cut us off. Sometimes this happens in church family. We think of denominational splits. I follow these each summer, the denominational meetings of various churches, and I remember the pain and the, 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 the separation that, that's caused between serving Scripture, listening to the Word of God and submitting to it, versus trying to change so the culture would find us more acceptable. And, and that, tears, that tears those very close, tears them apart. But God's Word must be listened to no matter the cost. While Rachel and Leah see Jacob's intention to obey the Lord, they declare their willingness to follow. Verse 16, whatever he says, do. And what God basically, what God says in his word is, blessed is the home that obeys the Lord. That's where true blessing is. So Jacob has come to this point. How did he get here? Let's, let's look at how Jacob got here. Jacob's mother had sent him off to Haran, to find a wife. Now he has four wives and a growing family. God's timing isn't necessarily his timing. He had planned to serve for seven years, take Rachel and be off, and now he's here 20 years. He still can't convince his father-in-law to abide by his agreements. We would understand if Jacob said, you know what, it's, it's too much now. Seven years, it, it, at, the, at the mile marker of seven years, maybe. But now, 20 years in, my, my family's too large. My, 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 uh, it's just too difficult. And not, on top of that, I'm going to offend my father-in-law. I, I think I'm just going to stay. 
We would understand that. We, we have those, those battles in our own minds sometimes when, 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 when we move along in life and we think, boy, it's really hard now. It might have been a little easier back then, but it, it's, it's too hard. Well, friends, that's when, that's when God's glory is more magnified as, as you call upon him and say, I don't understand how I need to move forward here. I know your word. I know what you say, and I want to be obedient to it, whatever the cost. Well, notice how Jacob frames his decision. Notice what he says. He frames his decision to his wives this way. Yes, the difficulties are many, but the God to whom I am bound has called me to go. Verse 13. The God to whom I am bound by vow has called me to go. Do you see things that way? That's how we're supposed to see things. When God calls, we go. When God calls us to stay, we stay. Wherever we are, we stand firm, knowing that we do the work of the Lord and it will not be in vain. In this instance, it was called to go. Jacob doesn't look at the situation and have a pity party or argue with God. Well, you should have been here 14 years ago, 13 years ago. It would have been fine. But now, eh, no, you're too late. It's, I can't do that now. He doesn't. He says to his wives, we, we've got to go. His heart is set on pilgrimage, as the psalmist says, looking for what is the promise, looking for what is to come. Is that true for you and me, or do we get too bound by all the stuff we get, by the growth we have? We say, I can't, it's just too much. I can't, I can't just, just turn my back on all of this. You see, that's part of it. That's another part of it. Jacob's road is not easy because of what his father-in-law might say. But also, there's something else working on his mind. He's been blessed with Animals in increased abundance. Verse 43 of chapter 30 says, He increased greatly, had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels and donkeys. He had become very wealthy. Prosperity is very dangerous to spiritual vision. More people are tripped up by affluence than poverty, as Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. Those who crave money have been led to wander from the faith. Jacob's being blessed. He's being blessed here. Why why would he want to move now? How could he possibly move now? He just invested all that time and energy in what he has. Brothers and sisters, a Wrong focus leads to compromise. When we think life and joy comes from man, comes from possessions, we'll often do whatever it takes to let the good times roll, we say. We'll say what others want us to say. We'll do what others want us to do. We'll remain silent when we're told to remain silent. It happens inside the church. It happens outside the church. Our commitment to the Word of God is tested generationally. It's tested yearly. It's tested daily. Church in North America is beginning to see the handwriting on the wall. North American society is increasingly antagonistic to truth. It's, it's saying, no, no, you, we, we tolerated you before, but now you must say what we tell you to say. That bill in Michigan, I don't know if you've been following that, but this bill 
that, that if any speech comes across that, that, that makes someone feel threatened, it's, it's going to be fined equivalent up to $10,000. Well, you know who that's aimed at. Those who speak truth and speak the Bible in a culture that doesn't want to live in line with the Word of God. Will we? Will we stand? Now, we can and should discuss how we say things and when we say things and so on, but we must not fail to say what needs to be said nor fail to do what God commands. Blessed are those whose God is the Lord. When God blesses his people, unbelievers take notice. Notice this too. That's another thing that makes it difficult. They become envious. Healthy homes, healthy lives make the world envious. Prosperity makes unbelievers envious. And then when they get the upper hand, the positions of power, they act out in anger because of their envy. They hate people who love God. They hate to see obedience blessed by God. Just look at Laban and his sons. What do they do with Jacob? They're, 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 they've had it with him. They, they have no favor towards him. They're, they're, they're tired of seeing him being blessed. Every time they say, well, striped uh, uh, sheep, uh, spotted sheep, other, he, th- those are the sheep that are, that, are, that are born. And they're just, they're angry. They're, they're, How can this happen? We control this situation. And God says, no, I do. Well, envy was rotting their bones. That's what Proverbs 14, 30 says. Envy rots the bones. It makes people tore up inside when they focus on the things that other people get. Laban's deceitful plans weren't accomplished. They weren't accomplishing all that he wanted, and it made him despise Jacob. What would Jacob do? Like I said, it would have been easier to just ignore God's command, say, I'm not going. Just, it isn't worth it. It's not, not worth all the hassle. You see, it's one thing to hear God's word and just kind of keep it inside and say, yeah, I know what it is, and I'll, I'll pull it out when I need to. It's, it's something altogether different to act in obedience to it. It welcomes hardship. And friends, we're going to serve someone. Well, we must serve God. And when we do, unbelievers aren't our enemies, we have to remember, but objects of our compassion. That's what's so easy. When we, make this, when we call this out, we, we, we want to make those hard and fast categories. Okay, well, we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. Now, now, now God has blessed us and so we can leave them behind. No, we're, we're, we're still called to, to love and show compassion to those who don't see. We're called to be messengers, ambassadors of Christ. God doesn't hate sinners, nor should we. God's a friend of sinners, Ephesians chapter 5. God didn't come to Jacob because he was better than others. He didn't choose us because we're better than others. In love, he rescued Jacob from himself. He does the same with us. I was thinking about this this weekend. We're celebrating freedom. 
What does God do when he comes to us? He, he comes to, to rescue us from bondage to our sin and to set us free to live for him. That's the freedom that we celebrate. That's, the, that's why there's joy in it because there's, there's no law against that fruit of the Spirit, Paul says in uh, Galatians chapter 5. There's no law against these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things we pursue. That which is excellent and praiseworthy, Philippians 4 verse 8. That's what we pursue. We're freed to pursue these things. People look at us and say, no, you're just enslaved to God. No, God is good. He says, this is the way I've created you to go. And with this, in obedience, comes satisfaction, comes joy, comes happiness. Not in the pursuit of these things, these, this material, these material things. They're, they're, they're good, and we don't deny the, the physical. We don't deny the material and say, oh, that's all bad. I shouldn't own anything. I should. That, that's not what we're saying. We're saying it doesn't, it isn't our life, it isn't what we hold on to. And when things get when, when there becomes a battle and 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 the world comes for our things, we let them go. Because we we we, we don't say we've got to have those to be happy. What is what does the author of Hebrews say? You they plundered your property and, and you, you, you let it go because it isn't your life. You, you have, you have a, a hope that's, that's, a, that's, that's greater. An inheritance that's better by far, Hebrews 10, 34. Well, Jacob's ready to obey God, but the test is not over. Laban hears that he's left and he takes off after Jacob. He overtakes him, but not before the Lord speaks to him. Verse 24, the Lord came to Laban. And said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Don't don't threaten him. Don't do anything to him. I'm in charge here. Laban's not in control of things, even if he thinks he is. Verse 29, he does that anyway, doesn't he? What does he say to him? You know, I have the power to harm you. (laughs) I could make your life miserable right now. God had just, he had just heard from the Lord, don't say anything. You can't help it. He's like, I'm still in charge. No, you're not. You've never been in charge. And we're warned in that too when we say, well, Lord, this is how things are going to go. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. I will direct your life and there is blessing in following after me. Not you taking your own path and saying, I, I know what you said, but I'm not, I'm not going to listen. Laban can't help himself. I can harm you. And God says, no, you may not. They have a discussion and Laban makes accusation against Jacob. Tries to appeal to his conscience. You sinned against me, verse 30. You stole my gods. Jacob declares that if he's wronged Laban in any, any way, the one committing the wrong must die. Maybe better check with the household before you make such a rash, prom, a rash vow there, Jacob, because we know what Rachel's done. She's stolen the household gods. And what do we see in Jacob? He's a work in progress. He's still, he's very good at protesting his, his innocence. I, I'm not, I haven't done wrong. I, I've, not, I've not done anything wrong. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's my circumstances. 
Or it's, or it's, it's, it's not me. I just had to leave because now was the time. He's a work in progress. He's not good at admitting sin and asking for forgiveness. He has to still learn this. Well, I don't have time to develop this, this point, this last point. Um, I'd be open to a sermon discussion class after, after worship. I, I asked the elders and they said, absolutely, if you've got more material. I got all kinds of more material if you want to look at this passage more closely after service this morning. But let me just say this. Let's see what we can learn from, from these, these closing verses here. There's a picture of us in, this, in these closing verses. What's happening? There's accusation being made against one of God's, God's own, and he's not perfect. What happens? What does Satan do? He comes and he accuses and says, you think you're going to go and obey. You think you're going to do that? Well, I know about you. I know who you are. I know what you've done. You can't leave me. How dare you try to leave me? I've given you everything you've got. Your success is right here, horizontal. Your blessing is here. If you turn your back on me, you don't even know what's coming. What does the future hold for you? Right here, you have everything you need. Satan accuses. He accuses us of sin, and we are guilty. We deserve to die as Rachel deserved to die for stealing from her father, punishable offense. And we then must acknowledge and confess our sins. We cannot protest our innocence before God. But we're reminded that God is for us. And that's what we say to the accuser. Ah, but you don't understand. All my sins have been paid for. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I continue to sin. But all my sins have been paid for. It is finished, paid in full. By the Lord's great deliverer. The Lord sees our sin, but he doesn't hold it against us. He moves it, removes it from us as far as east is from west, the psalmist says. He bears witness, not to our sin, but to his Savior, who is our hope, salvation. And as those forgiven, we're set free to live upright and godly lives before him. We can see that as there's a call there. The Lord, watch between you and me, verse 49. Do not oppress Do not deceive. God is witness. We're called to live for him, to put off the old and to put on the new. Saved by grace unto service, unto holiness. The world wants to hold our sin before us and to look for its acceptance of us, but there is no release in that covenant with the world. Our release is in following releases in following God's word unto faith in Christ. And that's our declaration that God is our blessing. He is the one who is our life and we must look to him. We're not our own. Along body and soul and life and in death, our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who's fully paid for all our sins. God is for us. We must listen to his word and obey. He will deliver us. As the passage closes, the accuser goes away. Verse 55, Laban leaves. But Jacob still must come to acknowledge his need of God, his own guilt. 
not just a victim of injustice to be pitied. He was a sinner before God and had to face up to that fact. And that will happen very soon. For the next chapter, we see that he comes face to face with God and must wrestle with him. We must consider that in our lives as well. That's for next time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there is so much to obedience, and yet it is so simple. So much to obedience in that everything we think, say, and do is to come under control of your word. That's every moment of every day. Yet it is very simple. Come, follow me. Take up your cross. Die to self. Not easy, but clear. And you empower us by your spirit to do just that. Lord, I pray for these people here, for myself, that we would hear that call and not think about all the difficulties of what is what that, what that demands of us, but rather about the equipping that you give and of the blessing that is before us and of the love that you show to us, that you might become bigger in our eyes, that we might delight in you more. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would hear us for his sake. Amen. Number 542. I chose this as I was, as the sermon was coming to, to, together this week, I was, I was thinking of Jacob making proclamation, declaring God is good, and, and that's what we are to do. We're to, we're to stand up. Not, this isn't meant to be uh, uh, something of an of a intimidating hymn selection, per se, so much as we stand up because Jesus is the victor. We acknowledge that he is the one uh, whom we serve and that he is keeping us as people. He's overcome. The crown of life is ours in him. So we want to declare that and point others to him as well. Let's stand to sing the four stanzas, number 542.
Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we live in a tumultuous time, we are fully aware that our hope is in Christ alone to be delivered from our sin and our confidence that the gospel will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent is in the power of your spirit. Yet there are fears, there are apprehensions in us. We pray, however, that you would remind us that we are to be proclaiming that truth that others might hear and be delivered from their sin, from, their, from all of their sin. We pray for the work done in Italy and Romania, those very progressive societies by small numbers. Lord, you deliver by many or by few. It is not the numbers that matter, but the the zeal, and we pray for these believers, that you would bless them in their witness. They might see the power of your word as it goes forth. Hear our prayers as we collect for this work. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand to receive God's parting blessing. Hear these parting words. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in all of your darkness and troubles, remember what you are and what you have. You've been loved with an everlasting love. You're supported by everlasting arms. You're recipients of everlasting life and heirs of an everlasting kingdom, all sealed and made sure by the blood of an everlasting covenant. The Lord goes with you. Amen.